Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Ruben Greff, who has a ton of knowledge and experience within the world of multifamily real estate investing. Really excited to have him on the show. He's an awesome guy. So Ruben, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Marcus. I'm, uh, I'm very honored to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'll give you a little bit of an intro and then you and then let you share your story. Uh, you got a great story okay. about how you kind of got into this space. So a little bit about Ruben. He's got a track record of raising money for small multifamily deals through various social media platforms. He is the host of the popular podcast, The Capital Raiser Show podcast, and he is the capital manager for the real estate syndication group uh, based out of Phoenix called Bakerson. So um, I know that's really brief, kind of shared a little bit about your that's story. Yeah. Ruben, take it away, man. Like, how did you get into real estate? Why did you get into real estate? And kind of what are you working on now? Yeah. So let's start way back, dude. So I remember being a kid, my, my father passed away pretty young in my life. I was seven years old, but I remember like three, four, five years old, I'd hop in the truck with him and we'd go and pick up the rents from different single family dwellings. And as he was getting sicker and I, th- I think he knew that he was probably going to pass, but he told me because he was a doctor and, and he was in the military, he was a corporal in the military and he was the president of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce here. And he told me, Mijo, I made all of my money in real estate. You know, I didn't make it as a doctor. So, and that seed was planted going to the different properties. So I always had it in the back of my mind. Hey, I either want to, I want to be just like this guy. So I'm going to study chemistry and maybe I'll go into medicine or, you know, I'll study that and then have it as a stepping stone. And then just go into real estate, which is exactly the path that I ended up taking. I decided not to get study, you know, to become a doctor because of all the litigation and and the debt that you would have to put yourself in before you could become a doctor. So after graduating from college, I didn't know exactly how to do it. I didn't know if I should become a real estate agent. I ended up becoming a mortgage broker, learned how to sell loans, thought that would be a good stepping stone, but that really only taught me how to sell loans. So that wasn't getting me anywhere closer to my goal of owning property. And I found this investment group that taught like 30 different single family strategies, everything from negotiations to flipping, to rehabbing, to subject twos. I think there's tax lien certificates. There was a variety of strategies and there was one class at that program taught, which was on multifamily. And once I got in that class, I saw the leverage that you could tap into, the cash flow, the capacity to scale faster. And I was like, this has got to be it. This, this is amazing. I had a meetup at the time and this dude showed up in town from San Diego with a bankruptcy and he started buying all these fourplexes, even though he had no credit. So I was very curious about that. And I asked him if I could tag along to some of his properties, do some filming, promote him, maybe try and get some investors to be attracted to 
his business model. So I put a bunch of videos on YouTube and sure enough, over a period of about a year, we raised $600,000 for his small multifamilies. And I became a part owner of some of those deals. From there, we kind of, he was like, Ruben, you're so good at marketing. I can't believe you raised all this money from YouTube. And he's like, you should focus on marketing. So I did. And I flew in this producer from San Diego and we were going to do a, a series and pitch it to A&E and a couple other networks and see if we could do a reality TV show on multifamily cash flow investing during the crash. We were doing pretty good and we were going to write a book and do a CD program and go on tour. But he was so over leveraged because he was micromanaging the contractors on all his deals that he started not showing up, which caused some arguments between us. And we ended up splitting up because he wasn't available to do some of the things that I had money on the line for. So I ended up you know, we did get on the, the few multifamilies that we did. I think we did about four, four deals, 22 units. After I sold those off, which, man, I wish I could go back and keep those because they're, they've appreciated significantly over the last 12, 12 or about what, 10 years. And I ended up going back to corporate America because I was broke. And then I can't be behind a desk because I'm very entrepreneurial minded. So I took off to Mexico and just traveled for a year. Along the way, I met my wife and then eventually came back to the United States and was like, well, all I know is single family, or I should say, all I know is small multifamilies. How about if I just take a fourplex down and then multiply my portfolio every couple of years until I multiply it five times to get a total of 32 fourplexes, 128 units. That'll bring me all the cash flow I need my entire life, right? And I know that I can make an impact on the residents and, you know, bring some investors along the way. This will be, this will be great. But I couldn't get any traction because I didn't have anybody to tout, anybody to raise capital for. I didn't have a lot. I had a lot of limiting beliefs. I didn't have faith in myself. But then I was sharing this concept with people. Hey, I want to take down 128 units. And this is my strategy. I'll just keep on multiplying my portfolio. And somebody was just like, well, why don't you just take them all down right now? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, why don't you just buy 128 unit property instead of buying all these little properties and having them all over the place? Why don't you just take down? I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that. I mean, they're like, well, why don't you just syndicate it? I'm like, I've never heard of that. What does that even mean? Right. So I found out about syndication and was like, this seems like a really cool path. I started exploring, researching a lot of gurus, was going to pay some mentors to teach me how to do it. And at the time I had a real estate license, I was trying to sell fourplexes here in town. And I asked my broker because he specialized in multifamily. I'm like, who do you know that syndicates? And he's like, well, I sold a $5 million property down in Tucson to Bakerson last year. I'm like, oh, can you set up a meeting? I know those guys. I've seen them at meetups before. I'd like to ask them how, you know, like, who do I need on my team to syndicate? So he set up an interview. I came in, started picking their brains and Bakerson turned it around on me. They're like, well, why do you want to syndicate? You know, like what's, what's in it for you? What, what are you trying to accomplish? And I told him, I was like, well, I've raised some capital for multifamily in the past. I'm good at social media. I think I can add value. I want to attract and build a team to start taking down larger properties, probably going to be faster to get to my goals if I take down larger properties in a team environment than if I do this the long, slow way, which was what I was trying. And they're like, wait a second, you've raised capital on social media? I'm like, yeah. 
I mean, without ever asking for money, we were just sharing our business model with people and they brought in about $600,000. So like, we need somebody like that. Do you think that you could raise capital for us? And I was like, well, I can try. I knew that I could build another platform. I had already done it on YouTube once before. And that's when I realized that the best, most efficient strategy for me to get in front of people and share brand awareness for Bakerson was to start a podcast, thus the inception of the Capital Raiser Show. Now we're at about 110 episodes, and I've learned all kinds of different strategies for raising capital from limited partners, from joint ventures, from family office, from institutions, through a fund, and from preferred equity models, or even some people call seller financing or creative financing a form of capital raising. So we've talked about all those strategies on my show, and it's been fun. I've learned so much, and I'm still learning, you know? So that's kind of how I got involved and how I ended up here. And that's the beauty of like a, let's call it a thought leadership platform. I mean, you talked about YouTube already as being the first one you started off. And now there's kind of that, that boom where people are going into the podcast space where it's so beneficial, right? Where you can educate people who can then potentially be, yeah, you, you build relationships and, and real estate is all about relationships. Um, you can potentially attract passive investors. You can attract like different people that, you know, from property managers from, and brokers and, and you get awareness out of it, of, of who you are and what you're doing and how you can help others. But also um, you get to learn in the process, right? You get to basically ask any question that you yeah. want to experts in the field and they get to share their expertise and you get to learn in the process. So, I mean, that's one of the huge values of having a podcast, but putting it out there and just kind of sharing and learning along the way, right? And and nobody can be an expert in every specific asset or, or uh, aspect of real estate because it's there's so many different moving parts but also there's so many different things just from like you know it's all about location 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 like even if you were like doing the exact same business plan and strategy of say multifamily class a or class b value add projects um it's going to be different from if you're doing it in in your case phoenix area or arizona versus Washington state or different places. Right. So just having connecting with different people that are doing different things, you're always going to be learning. And, and uh, yeah, there's a ton of value in podcasting and, and uh, having a thought leadership platform. So sounded like you were really interested in real estate right off the bat, like from a young age, uh, you had a journey kind of getting through to where you are now. Why multifamily? Why, like, what is it about that asset class and where you didn't kind of steer off to like, I mean, before we recorded this, you kind of said you kind of got that squirrel syndrome sure. where you kind of look, hey, that's exciting. That's exciting. What's kind of like really drawn your attention to be like, hey, I'm going to be laser focused on multifamily and not get distracted by other um, opportunities within real estate. Well, there's kind of two parts to that. First is like, how do you dial in your processes so that you're only focused on one thing? And then the other question it would be the other part of that. I would say would be like why multifamily is is specifically why you know the direction that I want to go in in regards to real estate. So I'll start with the first part, man, because I used to want to be like I wanted to start a cancer research center and I wanted to do a, a skateboard T-shirt thing and I wanted to network marketing and I wanted to like teach real estate and I wanted to do my meetup and I had like. I don't know, maybe six or seven or eight irons in the fire. And I wasn't getting traction on any of them. And I went to this men's leadership seminar and somebody told me, one of the leaders of the real estate program that I was part of, he's like, hey, dude, you, you got your focus all spread out, man. You should focus on one thing, do like either marketing or 
real estate, you know, but don't like, that's great that you want to do all the stuff that you're passionate about, but unless you focus in on one, you're not going to get any of them. You're going to be trying to chase a, you know, third, three or four rabbits and not catch any of them. So that really changed my perception. And that's when I started to realize that I had this problem of uh, diversified and spread out focus. And that's when I really locked in and said, Hey, I'm not going to do anything or let myself be distracted by opportunities or other businesses until I get locked in on one thing. And so I had already been through a, a real estate program that taught like 30 different strategies. Multifamily was the one that attracted, that was most attractive to me because number one, there's a high demand for workforce housing. It's a recession proof asset. You have the ability to do this thing called forcing the appreciation where you can do a variety of things to do that. You can either raise the rents, you could lower the expenses, you can add units, you can change the density. It's called higher and better use investing. You can take a piece of land and add entitlements to it that changes the use of the property. You can add units to it, you can change the density, you can change the zoning. All of that stuff forces the appreciation. That's the power of, of multifamily and commercial real estate is you have the capacity to not just wait for what the market is doing. You can go in there and change the value just by your sweat equity and what you do. So I really love that particular aspect, but I love cash flow. I love the fact that if you have 90% occupancy in a hundred units, you're still going to cash flow. Whereas if you have a single house, the tenant leaves, all of a sudden you have the mortgage payment and there's nobody paying for it until you get the next tenant. So that, that particular aspect of it, the fact that you don't have to have, you don't have to depend on just one person. You can depend on a, a big portfolio of people or, or residents, resident base that will help you to pay for the mortgage. But there's also the whole, you know, Grant Cardone talks about it, the 10xing your impact on the world, right? So multifamily, I think, because you're impacting more families, more people, providing more people with a greater place to live. And then you're impacting the community because now there's all these ancillary service providers that you're helping. And in the economy, you're like talking about, um, there's a title rep, there's a property manager, there's like the maintenance crew, there's the real estate agent, there's all the people that bring these things, the contractors, all of these people are being benefited and contributing to, to the economy because you're stepping up your game and taking on properties that have a greater impact. So you're helping your investors, you're helping the community, the apartment complex itself, and all the ancillary services, it's 10xing your impact on the planet. So I really love that. But you're also solving a lot of housing programs or housing problems because there's not enough workforce housing in the United States, probably in Canada too. It's it, There's a big workforce that needs a place to live, which is also beneficial from the investor perspective because that demand is so high for a place to live that, that the rents are going up and it's also affecting the bottom line of your operations. So it's all of those things. I love all of those aspects of, of real estate. But now you throw in the, the tax benefits and the cash flow and the capacity to create generational wealth for your family, for your bloodline, and bring other investors along and get them rich too. Man, it's just, it's a very powerful business. So I really love those aspects of it. Yeah, and you really highlighted some some important points there about, you know, workforce housing, it's in demand, like these type of, 
you know, there's going to be different classes, the class A, the class B, the class C type properties. And there always just seems to be, and like you referred to, there's kind of a shortage in the States. Same thing. We see that up in Canada. It seems to be like a, a North America problem and probably even beyond that in, in various parts of the world. But I mean, the big problem is construction costs go up and it doesn't make sense economically or financially for developers to go build these, um, you know, lower income or, or workforce type apartments because they're not getting the same return on investment um, that they would be getting if they're going to go and uh, build a, a property that's you know higher class and demand higher rents and things like that so that just is you know accelerating the problem where there's just that supply and demand in equilibrium disequilibrium where there's just not enough out there which is great for um, if you're holding those types of properties there's going to be a huge demand for it because there's so many people that need to live in those those units which um, helps you as a an active investor or a multifamily investor hold those types of properties, you know that there's going to be demand for it, which keeps your occupancy high. Um, but that doesn't kind of solve the overall problem of there's just not enough out there and, and probably going to have to have different levels of government get involved to kind of, um, you know, give give reasons for developers to, or incentives for them to go out and build these types of uh, properties so that they can increase the supply. Um, but yeah, you, you, like you said, you're, being able to affect communities and people and, and provide a great place for them to live. You, you mentioned about how you as an active investor can actually help out the passive investors and, and help them kind of highlight some of those things. Like when you're looking at what most people think about investing, it's basically, well, I'm going to uh, save up money, put it into a, a retirement savings account. I'm going to put it in a stock market, or I'm going to uh, put it with a, a financial advisor that basically just drops it into a fund or a portfolio that I have no idea what's doing and it kind of goes up and down, but you got to get your statements every once a year or something like that. But what are the advantages of looking at this alternative asset class of multifamily real estate in the private world? How, what are the advantages for the investor there? Yeah, you pointed out a serious pain point for a lot of passive, potential passive investors is that they don't want to have their money in this crazy roller coaster ride called the stock market, right? Where it's going up, it's going down. If you have a $100,000 investment and it goes up by 20%, you're at 120 and then it goes down by 20. Now you're at $96,000. Opposite thing could happen. You're started with $100,000. It goes down to $80,000, you know, with a 20% dip. And then another, you know, it goes, it rebounds 20% and you still end up at 96. So whether it's going up or down, you're still losing money. And, you know, when you calculate the fees and then the fact that you have capital gains on all the profits, it's just, you know, for some people, it can be a good ride if you if you are really educated in it. But for or, or maybe, you know, those people would want to diversify and go into multifamily. Multifamily is, is a lot more attractive because it's a recession resistant asset. And, you know, speak going back to pain points, people have an emotional need. You know, they don't look at the numbers and say, I, I want to buy this building just because it'll get me cash. There's some kind of emotional driver behind that. Like, hey, I don't have money for my kids to go to college or I need to be on a beach and I'm nowhere close to that. I'm stuck here. I'm, you know, I need to retire. I need to spend time with my grandchildren. There's some kind of pain behind the reason that they're seeking these investments. And the alternative is, you know, you invest in something that doesn't make financial sense, that doesn't provide a good return. You know, the stock market is pretty pretty, pretty unattractive from a variety of aspects. So, but people don't know that 
multifamily investing is a possibility for them because it's almost like a hidden investment. People think, or they have the limiting belief that only mega millionaires invest in multifamily. But the reality is, is that regular people like you and I can partner up with operators, invest some money. And then, you know, it becomes the question of how, how do I educate myself on this? And that's what our mission is, right? So a lot of these podcasters in the multifamily space, they're teaching either active investors how to do it or more commonly, much more commonly, how to teach passive investors that number one, it exists, and number two, what to look for an operator and how this entire business works. And from, from a operational standpoint, if you're the operator, you go through this process where you get people to know, like, and trust you, step one. And part of that is finding out what their pain points are and what their problems are and listening to them to see if you can provide a solution to their, their problems. From there, you explain why and educate people on multifamily because a lot of people don't know that they can invest in it. So I think you mentioned that Hunter Thompson talks about in his book, you know, some people, if he's trying to sell cows or in a type of investment that people can't resonate with, they're never going to do it no matter how good of investment it is. You can get a 50% return on cows, but unless you resonate with it, you're never going to invest in it. So the idea is to find people that resonate with your asset class, in our case, multifamily, and then to teach them all the benefits of it, the cash flow, the, the tax benefits, the cost segregation. And then you teach them and get them to feel and experience before you have a deal, what it would be like to invest with you. When are you going to get communicated with? When are you going to get your returns? How, how are you going to get your cash back? When are you planning, you know, what's the business model? When are you going to sell the property? Things of that nature. And when they understand that, know, like, and trust you and resonate with the asset class, those are the first three steps. You then take them to step four, which is presenting them the deal. So a lot of people will try and present the deal before getting people to know, like, and trust you, explaining multifamily and explaining what the, what it feels like to invest with you. And that can cause a lot of problems. So from an operator standpoint, you take people through that process and you make it a mission and create from a place of intention, this platform or this social media presence or blog post presence or marketing, uh, email marketing presence to explain what you're up to. And then over time, people begin to want to invest with you or at least do some research on it and realize that, hey, maybe I can invest in multifamily. And that's how you go about your business. That's what a lot of syndicators are doing. Yeah. The biggest thing is just getting awareness of this asset class, right? Because yeah, yeah a lot of people don't know about it and how what the benefits are. And that's why I really appreciate you sharing all these different benefits and going into that level of detail. And then, you know, when people don't know about it, then they're obviously not going to have access to it. But that's kind of where we're out here and kind of sharing how great this asset class can be and, and how you can diversify outside of the, the public stock market. Like it's not saying that you completely avoid public markets. Like you can do good in that. It's, it's basically helping you diversify your portfolio and there's a space in a portfolio for alternatives and private investing, right? Like for example, there's, you can still go out and buy public stocks in public REITs, right? I mean, we see some, there's nothing wrong with that, but we also see some advantages to going private as well, because once again, those public REITs are traded on the public stock market where you get that emotional roller coaster, the volatility, because a lot of the decisions that are made are emotional. And that's kind of what, what drives markets, right? Say Donald Trump uh, 
tweet something on, on Twitter and then, oh, market reacts or whatever. Something happens that then there's a ripple effect across, across the public markets. And that's kind of that volatility that you see. So for example, even like a public REIT, we were kind of looking at it. I remember doing some research where you'd look at that the ups and downs of the stock or the share price of a public real estate investment trust. And you'd see like, oh, one month or over a two month period, it dropped down by 35% or 40% or something like that. And it's like, wait, how does that even make sense? Like real estate is actually has a tangible value to it. Um, it's, it's hard to convince me that over one month or two month period that that asset that you might've, let's say there's a you know $100 million portfolio of real estate. It's hard to believe that over a one month period, it then dropped down to let's say $60 million in value, right? Like real estate isn't that volatile. It's it's uh, because it's a tangible asset and it's it doesn't ebb and flow that quickly. But that's that's real estate in the public markets where the advantage of being private, where you actually get to hold the real estate and it's like, well, what's going to govern the actual value of your investment? Well, the actual appraised fair market value of what that property would sell for on the open market. And like you said, you can go enforce some appreciation and do all those different things. So yeah, those are some of the advantages. I was actually talking, uh, last point here, I want to make like, I was talking to a financial advisor who, you know, obviously deals a lot with public investments and mm-hmm. uses learning more about our the business model of private private placements, private equity into these types of real estate uh, multifamily deals. And he's just like, wow, this, this business model is beautiful. <laughs> I mean, that, those were his words because he's basically saying, I hate getting those phone calls from my clients where they get a statement that basically says, oh, your share price dropped on your portfolio, yep. you know, click the button and sell, right? He hates dealing with that because it's that emotional aspect of like, okay, I got to get out now because it dropped. Well, that's going to happen in the public market. You're going to have volatility, right? So he really loved the model of the private equity type investments. So you, you actually touched on the different types of structures you can do with a private or um, raising capital and, and putting together deals. You, you'd mentioned like co-GPs and preferred equity. Can you kind of highlight at a very high level, what some of those strategies you've learned and and kind of share some of those details? Yeah. So when I was raising capital for the small multis back during the crash, we would just basically find an investor with a bunch of money and then go buy a property cash, right? So that's one that's referred to as a joint venture kind of capital raise or partnership. When I moved into syndication, that strategy was not going to be effective for raising money because when you're talking about these massive projects, people need to be communicated with. They need to understand the return structure. They need to understand the multifamily asset class, particularly if they're investing from out of state, they have to understand all these different things. And then they have to feel like you're going to take care of and be a good steward of their money. And that requires a lot of infrastructure and technology even like an investor management portal and all these things. So the the way that you raise capital in the world of syndication typically is through a limited partnership model where there's a a sponsor or an operator or a promoter, you know, or or a head investor or a gen, you know, all these different terms, but they all mean the same thing. There's one guy that's kind of like the head or maybe a group of guys or even women that are the head of the company they go and find a property, put it under contract, and hopefully they have a database of investors that already know, like, and trust them and everything else. And then they basically bring a bunch of people into a pool and 
join forces with that pool of investors to take down a large property. It's beneficial for the limited partner because they can be completely passive. They don't have to have their hands in operation or deal with tenants, toilets, or termites, or any of the things of repairs and managing contractors. The main operator or general partner handles all of that stuff, and they can just basically come along for the ride and invest into a large apartment community and have an impact on the world while also creating passive income for themselves. So it's, it's a nice way for the limited partner to invest into a deal without having to get their hands dirty. And it's a great opportunity for the general partner because now they can bring money and take down larger deals. Then there's um, a lot of people have been starting funds. Once it gets sophisticated enough, that's an interesting model where you get your database of investors and then you go and find an operator and you put your money into their deals. And a lot of times you can because you're bringing in so much money to an operation, you can negotiate special terms or special returns for your specific class of investors where they either get paid first or get a better interest rate. And that's beneficial to the sponsor because now they don't have to raise from 10 people $50,000 each. They can just get you know, $500,000 from one person or a million dollars or $5 million from one group of investors that's that's in a fund. That they call that a fund of funds. And then, so there's all these different fund structures that we talk about. If you're interested in that, check out our episode with Kim Lisa Taylor or, you know, talk to a syndication attorney. But then there's this preferred equity model, which is where somebody, it's kind of the same thing where they, they have their own class of shares. They get paid before the regular equity and then it's beneficial. It's almost like a loan, but not quite on title the same way because the typical agency debt financers won't allow for a second loan. So you come in in the capital stack in this position where after the loan gets paid, your group gets paid, and then the regular equity investors get paid. That's called preferred equity. And some people like that, even though they don't get a, as good a return as the regular equity, they're, they have at the priority first, you know, where they get paid before the other investors and that makes them feel a little bit safer. Then there's like, when does it, you know, the, there's, then there comes a question like, when does it make sense to invest with a whale investor or a family office or an institution? And from a scalability perspective, if you have one dude that's writing you a check or one group of people that's writing you a check and you can go and buy as many properties as you want, assuming that you're a great operator and that somebody likes your in investment philosophy, that's a great opportunity to scale. But a lot of these big people are super sophisticated. They're like Wharton MBAs or they manage their family office and they don't want to share as much with you because they're bringing all the capital. So that cuts into your profits but it allows you to scale faster. So that's something that you have to weigh for yourself. Hey, does it make sense? Will I get all this momentum if I take down a bunch of deals instead of doing it the hard long way, which is to bring a lot, a lot of investors along and, and build that database, which is such a challenge for most people. Um, and same thing with institutions. You know, I think a lot of people want to park their money. There's more capital than there is deals right now. That's a um, well-known concept, but you know, a lot of people have requirements like they won't invest in anything that is smaller than $5 million because they have so much capital laying around. But those are some of the things that we talk about on the show. It's, it's been a great show, man. I really love it. Yeah, no, I've really enjoyed listening to the show and, and learning a lot from 
the the content that you're putting out there. And that was kind of a great highlight of all the different aspects of how you can kind of invest and, and what types of investors you can work with. Obviously, there's a big spectrum of, of sophistication level, the the level of due diligence that an investor would do. From example, like a, a, a limited partner writing a $50,000 check is probably going to be, well, they are going to be less sophisticated than, you know, an institutional level investor that's got a staff of, of how, however many analysts and underwriters that are going to do their due diligence and, and fact check every little detail uh, versus somebody that's saying, hey, I want to yeah, put in $50,000 and read your offering memorandum and, and know, know more about the deal. But yeah, that's going to be a whole different spectrum. Um, and, and you get that concept of, I've heard the saying where in the family office space, where you meet one family office, well, you've met one family office because everyone kind of operates a little bit differently. It's kind of this world where, yeah, they're essentially just wealthy people that have either, you know, had a you know, multi-generational type of family owned business, or they've exited uh, a business. Now they're kind of sitting on cash. And now they're just trying to manage that, that cash or that, that, the amount of capital that they built up and just preserve it and grow it. So everyone's going to have a little bit different strategy, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's also great opportunity to work with that type of level of, of investor that can write a bigger check, but with that is going to be a higher level of due diligence that they're going to do on the deal. And it, it takes time to kind of build up that track record and also the level of trust that's needed to work with those types of groups. But uh, yeah, you did a great job kind of highlighting those different um, aspects or types of investors that you can work with along the way. I'll mention one more. Yeah, I'll, want, I'll mention one more before we go because I didn't. I don't think I dove too deep into the co-GP model. So a lot of times I come across people that have databases of investors. And from a perspective, if you're an operator that needs capital, it's going to take a while to build a database of small limited partners. And one way to raise the capital faster is to bring in a partner that's got a database of investors that you you know obviously you have to give a piece of your company away and cut out some of your profits but that can be a faster way so we've done that on a couple of deals we brought in a co-gp with either you know as a joint venture or somebody that's got a database of investors and then partnered with them to take down some properties or to bring additional capex capital to our deal so did want to mention that before before we move on or yeah, totally. Out. And that's a great, great model. And I'm uh, glad you highlighted that as well. So I'm actually going to start wrapping this up and take it to the final four questions where you just give short to the point answers. So first one here is what is your favorite real estate or business book? So I really like Vinnie Chopra's book. It's called Apartment Syndication Made Easy. It's really cool. It talks. He, so he's the dudes from India. He came to the United States with like $7 in his pocket. And he's like now this mega multifamily syndicator, but he has this these memories of being in India and watching like the street performers, like balance all these different plates. And he he referenced multifamily syndication being the same thing where you're spinning all these plates simultaneously and trying to make it so that none of them fall. And that really kind of resonates with me because it seems like you get pulled in so many directions, particularly if you're trying to do everything by yourself. So I like that book, Vinny Chopper's book, Apartment Syndication Made Easy. Yeah, that's a great book. And uh, Vinny is uh, all around a great guy. I know I've, I've interviewed him already on this show and he definitely brings a smile to everyone with his nickname, Vinny Smiles Chopra, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> So what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? That this is a team sport, like that the more team members and the bigger team members and the more sophisticated people that you can align with, the faster you're going to scale and grow. And, you know, 
I, I mean, I tried to do everything by myself at first. So that's the one thing, man. I just, I wish I would have realized this is a team sport. Yeah. Great quote there. I totally agree. Multifamily is a team sport and you really got to leverage the strengths of others and, and, and focus on your strengths. Right. So next one here, what is a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Meditation, dude, full blown. I don't know that it's a daily habit, but I can tell you one thing. It's like, my life is better. My business is better. My relationships are better. Everything is better when I just spend some quiet time from a place of gratitude and from a place of building out and visualizing the day and what I want to accomplish that day. If I spend an hour before I get going doing that, the day just rolls out way smoother. So meditation for sure. Right. So what do you do for fun? Snowboard. So that's my favorite hobby. Obviously, I can only do it in the United States during the winter or, you know, I guess in the summer I could go down to Argentina or the, you know, Patagonia mountains or whatnot. But, you know, for the most part, my favorite hobby is snowboarding. When I was younger, I used to skate, but that's, that's pretty intensive on your body. There's a lot of injuries. Snowboarding is not quite as bad. And uh, that's, that's my favorite thing to do. And in fact, I should be up on the mountains here in the next week or two. Awesome. Yeah. My, I know we've got some great places to snowboard around uh, where I'm from in British Columbia. Oh yeah. I've been to Blackcomb. Yeah. Whistler yeah. Blackcomb. Fantastic place to, to ski and snowboard. And yeah, my, my brother actually just borrowed some of my gear yesterday to go snowboarding for himself. So I, I haven't gotten up on the mountain yet this year, but yeah, it's a great hobby. So great last thing here, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you or kind of follow along with what you're doing? So reach out on LinkedIn for sure. That's my favorite platform. It's something I'm going to be focused on growing in 2021. I've already started. I'm part of a 10 day challenge. So Ruben Greth on, on LinkedIn, or you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at capital razor, or you can reach me Ruben at Bakerson.com or find me or, you know, check out my show capital Perfect. Yeah. Definitely check out some of things Ruben's got going on. He's got a lot of great content and definitely a guy you want to follow along with because he's, he's, yeah, he's a great thought leader. He's putting out great, great content and yeah, he's an overall great guy. So really appreciate you coming on the show today, Ruben. Thanks. It was awesome. Loved having this conversation and uh, it's always a pleasure connecting with you. So uh, you, you added a ton of value and uh, hope you, hopefully you can come on again soon and uh, Dude, hopefully anytime. we'll connect again soon. Yeah. Anytime. It's a privilege to be here, man. Thank you so much for inviting me here. No worries, man. Take care. Peace. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.